0: Hello, lovely ladies. I feel like it's been a while. It has been a while, but we are so proud of this next episode. Definitely. We are braving the topic of grading and grading practices. This practice of grading and assigning the mark has been one of the longest standing traditions in our educational system. And as we begin to shift our mindset and our philosophies to align with 21st century learning and what it means to be educated, we must also consider how this impacts our grading systems.
1: I think it is important for us to consider What is in a mark? Actually,
0: let's let this amazing group of educators tell us more about it. Let's introduce Principal Dr. Jeremy Goins and teachers Catherine Byers and Tracy Gamash from Roosevelt High School in Eastvale, California, who are doing some rethinking of this conversations between learning and earning.
2: My name is Jeremy Goins. We started discussing grading practices a couple years back, and it really came from a few different places. One was I, I read... Daniel Pink's work on motivation, his uh, book called Drive, and Mm -hmm. found that one of the things that really struck me was once we start giving external rewards for things that should be internally motivated Mm -hmm. um, by, then uh, it really reduces people's motivation. What I thought is in education that happens all the time. We reward people for things that they should be doing anyway or and oftentimes they are doing anyway. And, and, I, and I really thought about, okay, what does that mean in education? We started looking at our data here at school. We saw the variance of data in the same subject matter was just really, really crazy, even troubling. And so I started doing some research on uh, grading and yeah. standards-based grading, reflective grading, grading practices and theory behind that. And then took our administrative team and we started reading books on grading. Um, So we did our research because we knew it was something that we wanted to bring to the staff, but we felt like we needed to do our research first. So we started reading research articles, broke up books kind of simultaneously I found that there were teachers on campus that were really already digging into the work, including Tracy and Catherine.
3: Hello, my name is Tracy Gamash, and I am a language arts teacher. Uh, talking about grades with my students was really a conversation of rewards and punishments, and I it began to have those like, well, this is worth points, and this is worth points, and it stopped being about learning. And for myself personally, as somebody who feels like I'm a lifelong learner, I don't look for points. I don't look for a grade. I do it because I genuinely have interest in it. And I wanted to try to recenter my classroom around learning and the learning experience. And so I felt that the grading shift was necessary in order to do that. Uh, I just happened to work with a wonderful administrator who started spearheading that conversation. I had to work with a wonderful team of people who's also they are very innovative and willing to try, like Catherine is. It was really easy to
1: make that shift. My name is Catherine Byers, and I'm a history teacher. I'm going to echo most of the same things. I was so tired of hearing, how many points is this worth? How many points do I need to get a C? Um, and I realized that the students didn't care about what I was teaching them or what we were learning. They just cared about reaching that point goal. And that was pretty devastating to me. Um, and it made me really question whether or not I wanted to continue being a teacher, to be entirely honest. So I realized I had to do some soul searching. And I read a lot of books and, and met with other educators here at the site to try and determine like what can I do to make it Learning focus and not points or grades. I'm glad you said that because it felt demoralizing mm-hmm. when you
3: spent all this time, you know, creating these lessons or activities that you felt were so useful to them and have them be like, Is this worth points? Because then when they have that question, you know, they're like, If you said no, they'd be like, Well, I'm not going to do it.
1: You can't punish them for that because they've grown up in the system where, yes. like, that's how you are successful. Yes. And so it was like breaking that that norm of, like, you're successful by how many points you are, especially knowing that, like, our students are going out into the real world, like, we're, we're their last you know check mark and I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be that they think the real world is how many points do you earn the real world is you you learn life lessons and you build from that and and so same thing it was really awful to hear students say like is is this worth 100 points 50 points what's this going to do to my grade right yeah
2: and I would I would add there's a couple things one we saw an increase in the last several years of cheating And especially with the infusion of technology, mobile technology, Mm -hmm. um, it becomes really, really easy to cheat. We did a a school-wide study and uh, did some research on what's the best way to prevent students from cheating. And you would think that it's harsh punishments, really none of those things. It's really make it internally meaningful, the work meaningful. And then the other thing that struck me, I have two younger kids. Mm-hmm. My my son, when I started this, was in kindergarten. And wh- what his report card said in kindergarten is it, it says NT. It said need ta- needs time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if he was struggling in an area, it said needs time where if I have a 10th grader in our school or a 12th grader, we give them F. We tell them they're a failure. And I thought, when, when does that shift? When does that shift happen where the truth is most kids can learn anything if they're motivated to learn it and they have enough time. Right. And, and so we need to... Find out what are the best ways to to actually assess for learning, not for this attitude of let me get that that bonus. And I think it's surprising. That in education, where there's so much research out there, and so much that we do is research based, we have the system of grading that is just archaic. And why is a ninety an A? You know, it's because that's the way it's always been done. Right. And there's no research that says ninety percent is mastery of anything. And and so when you really start challenging what what our assumptions are based upon, I think that you really start thinking why that this needs to change.
4: So, in your opinions, then what? What should a grade represent? Because in our current system, we do have grades. And most people have grades on their report cards, and it's one let. Like, what in in your ideal world, like, what should a grade represent? If they've mastered
1: the standards. I mean, in my classroom, I have standards that go through, uh, in, in my college prep class, 500 years of history in my AP class like thousands of years of history. Um, and if students have mastered those standards and they can prove that they, they understand the content, then that the grades should reflect that. It shouldn't reflect compliance, it shouldn't reflect whether they've done their homework. It just needs to tell me that they, they know what I was meant to teach
3: them. If I'm given a series of standards that I need to teach my students, then I need to be assessing whether or not they are meeting those standards. And that's what a grade should truly reflect. I am a little bit on the fringe though, because I take issue with the word mastery because I don't feel like any of us are ever truly masters. Five years into my career as an educator, and sometimes I feel farther from mastery <laughs> than I did when I first started, and but that you know it, it ebbs and flows um, as I move through my career, and the idea of mastery feels almost unattainable. And I mm-hmm. don't want my students to feel like learning is unattainable. And so, one thing I've been definitely struggling with this year is, what does that look like then? Mm-hmm. What do, what is the ideal or the highest standard, or what's the A? I guess. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And I would just agree that a uh, grade should reflect how well you have learned Mm -hmm. the standard, Uh, whatever that, that learning objective is. I think often our grades are a lot as reflected in a grade. It's right. How, how nice is the student? How compliant is the student? What, what, what kind of artist or or how creative the student is? That's the standard and that's the course that you're teaching. Then that's great. That's important. But I, I don't think that even how hard a worker you are, your, your levels of effort to me, your your great. We, we have other grades. We have citizenship grades. We have grades that can reflect those things and should. And we probably should spend more time actually assessing those things because there's a grade that made often that we just put you know put a O in and fill down and you know change the few that don't meet meet the mark. Um, but from your academic grade, it should really be about your learning.
4: Um, Dr. Goins, you presented a breakout session at the CNUSD Equity Conference titled "Equity and Grading." Um, can you explain to us what, what do grading practices have to do with equity?
2: When I became an administrator, I found that, that you often have really tough conversations with families. Um, you might have a family come in and feel like that the school is not meeting their needs, and they might argue that um, in any a given teacher's classroom, then they're not having their needs met. We have a great school, I re- and, I, and I believe that, and I think we have wonderful educators, and, and all our teachers are Great, I love our, our staff. However, if a parent's making the argument that my kid could have better success in another in another class, and I'm telling them no, but actually the data suggests that that's true. And then when I start digging into the data and I and I look and I can say, wow, if I put a student in this class, they have a better chance of uh, uh, earning a good grade than in this class, but we're all supposed to be teaching the same thing. To me, that's a systems problem. That's not an individual teacher's problem. That is a systems problem. First of all, if we're saying all students have equal opportunity to learn, then we better make sure that we norm ourselves. So so that is true. And then secondly, there are many practices in uh, assessment, in grading that benefits students that have um, support. If there's a project and a student has a great home environment where the parent's going to do it for them or, or with them, then that benefit fits that student and a student that doesn't have support. And that's not equitable. It's not ever going to be a perfect world or a right. perfect system. But do I think we can close the variance? I, I do.
4: Um, I'm going to ask you about some controversial grading practices, because as you all know, to talk about grades is a little, um, you have to be a little gentle with it. Um, for, For some people, even parents, everyone, the retake. Should students be allowed to retake or redo tests and or assignments?
1: So I absolutely think that retakes should be allowed. Um, it doesn't really matter to me when the student learns it. It matters that they learn. And an assessment is just one way of measuring that. Um, giving students multiple opportunities and chances to show what they've learned, I think, is part of life. Like in real life, they're not going to only have that one opportunity. Um, you can take the bar exam as many times mm-hmm. as you'd like. And and that's the reality of the world they're going to go into. Um, and that also helps keep that drive of always improving and getting better. If we tell them that there's this one end date and that's all that matters, then that's all they work towards. And they don't work past that to continue their learning. Yeah, I completely agree. I definitely think we
3: should allow read takes. I think about myself taking my CSET <laughs> and test number four. And <laughs> oh did it take me three times to get through it? And I had that availability and I had that opportunity. And if I, I just even think if I teach a unit and I really suck at it, I get to teach it next year, and I'm going to teach it better. No one, Jeremy doesn't come in and say, "You know, that lesson wasn't good. You're done."
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That conversation doesn't happen, and so
4: I really think we should definitely provide that opportunity. So, what does that look like, though when you're when you're offering a retake? Is it the same test? Is it um, a different assignment? So then, do you craft maybe two already? You know, what what does that really look like? I think it really depends on what the assessment
1: is. Um, so, like with skills-based assessments, when it comes to like the literacy standards we have in history right now, then it oftentimes is a different task in order to assess it. Okay. With my content standards, it, it oftentimes has to be the same assessment again. Maybe the answers are in a different order or worded a, a different I way, know. but. That's one of those things where when we get down to like the nitty gritty of it, it really just depends on what you're assessing. Okay. It depends what it
3: is that you are attempting yeah. to okay. assess them for and it really depends on what you teach and that's where that's I would encourage them to read the grading uh, smarter, not harder text because yeah. that book in and of itself talks about this idea mm-hmm. and like what you can do depending on your content area. And But even within language arts, some things I only want to give them, I can give them the same thing over and over again. Sometimes it has to be something completely different.
2: Right. If we're really assessing for learning mm-hmm. and, and our goal is learning, then we know that retaking tests students improves learning. I mean, that's research-based. And so if our goal is learning, then retake should be an automatic. And I think when you really drill down with most educators, they all believe that, it is really about the management of of how to get it done. Um, Because that is what deters people from giving giving retakes. And if they feel that that students are putting in their best effort, and so often we don't give retakes because we're trying to elicit certain behaviors in our students, uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of urgency that we would love them to have and that they don't necessarily have by default. I just think it's so important to think of, okay, why are we not allowing retakes? If Because I just purely can't management and, and I think there are many teachers who I've talked to have been very honest mm-hmm. this is, I just don't know what that looks like I don't right. know how I think that's great because that's a different conversation uh, is how can we build a system together is different than should they or shouldn't they uh, be allowed to retake
4: do you find that students do they not put their best effort in the first try because they know there are umpteen tries left I haven't
1: run into that yet. yeah I've done this for It's like basically three semesters now if I include summer school. And I haven't really had an issue with students trying to, I don't know, play the system in that way. um, Because they know that that's just going to be more work on them. Because they're going to have to come back in and find the time to retake that assessment. So they are putting in their best effort the first time. And it takes some of the stress away from them knowing that like if they – mess up the first time there's another chance mm-hmm. that's not that's not the end for them
2: I just know at work if I have a deadline that that is tomorrow and I don't get it done that doesn't go away I mean that work mm-hmm. it, it, it so I, I have to do that sooner or later and so I think that w- with students if they have a, a, an assessment and they they' are gonna do poor they feel unprepared they know they're gonna do poorly uh, the zero, which I believe we're gonna get into I was gonna say this the, the, leads right, right to the right, zero. The, the zero question. gives them a way out, but mm-hmm. forcing them to retake until they've done it well, okay. that really pushes them towards working harder. I would say even the first time. Because it's it's so not, it's not an have easy way to out to
4: keep doing this thing. Yeah. So when we're referring to zero, should students re- receive a zero for missing or incomplete incomplete work? I think yes. I I, I think yes. It means nothing's done. If I have to assess That you've learned and
3: you don't give me anything, there is nothing to assess.
1: I think yes, but I think that if you're using a hundred point scale, a zero just destroys motivation and it it ruins opportunities. Yes. Um, But I I use a five point scale and if my students don't have evidence of learning then I put zero and in the comments I say no evidence of learning because there's nothing for me to measure. Okay. Um, But I where I have trouble with the zero is that 100-point scale where there's now this 50-point gap that just destroys their motivation. It it really destroys
4: their hope of ever digging themselves out of that hole that they've gotten themselves into. So you're saying if a teacher is using like a percentage or 100-point percentage scale when they do their averages. So they average yes. all – like a common practice would be averaging all the scores. Mm-hmm. So then a zero – is sort of detrimental to, not sort of,
2: it is. Very. Rick warmly um, has an excellent video you can find on YouTube that really explains it well. He okay. explains it better than anyone I've seen, which is really if you, just mathematically speaking, right, there's 10% increments for an A, B, C, and D, and then there's 60 or 59%, you know, uh, increment for... For and F, and it's illogical. It really is illogical. Um, however, it's the system that we use. Right. And so, a zero on a five-point scale hurts uh, less than a zero on a hundred-point scale. Okay. Um, now, in my opinion, should zeros be given? Absolutely. If you can't assess a student on their learning, um, or they they don't have a they haven't learned it to any degree then absolutely a zero should be turned. But I agree, if we are grading or assessing for learning, a best practice, I believe 100%, is a five-point scale because it doesn't create this uh, inequity in weighting of every grade level.
4: Okay. When you say five point scale, can you just offer like a resource that a teacher that might not be familiar with it? Where would they go to like what is this five point
2: scale? I'd say Marzano's. I think it's called Grading That Works. I'd have to look at. But if you look at Marzano has two or three books on grading specifically. And if you were to look on um, just to Google Marzano's five-point grading scale, Okay, I think you would get a pretty more good information pretty good picture okay. of yes. that.
3: And I used Catlin Tucker's model for mm. my okay. classroom. Mm. Oh, there we go. Uh,
4: Katlyn Tucker, a former past CNUSD EdChat guest, you mean? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, I was already
3: obsessed with her. Oh, Priors okay. Coming, All right. So when I saw her speak, I was even more excited. Yes, okay. But, yeah, she redid errors, and she, since she's language arts, it was nice for me to have a model to go okay. off of. Um, so, yeah. It, she's awesome. Okay. She she is, puts it on her blog and
4: thinking about your work of like you've mentioned maybe standards based grading or this reflective grading. What are some of the greatest benefits you've seen from shifting over? And what are your biggest challenges? Or or what going into the new year? What what are you going to change or toss? What's working for you?
1: I think the greatest benefit for me has been that students really know where they're at. So they know what they know, and they know what they need to do in order to get to where they need to be. And that's been really powerful, and it's changed the conversations in my classroom. What's been challenging is I need to work on my method of, of measuring accountability because I still think it's important for them to learn turning things in on time and work ethic, and I've tried a couple different systems, but I just haven't found the right one for me, um, and I really don't want it to become a, a point in the grade book. Then it's compliance grading, mm-hmm. and, and I just. It, that takes away from the learning and what they understand. So that's something I need to work on and it's just finding the right method of, of how to measure that. And I know that at, on campus that's been a consistent thing for those of us trying it is yes. finding like how do we measure and communicate when students are turning things in on time and, um, and keeping them accountable because those are skills they need. Right. Um, but we just don't want that reflected in the grade. Okay. For me one of the
3: greatest benefits has been watching my students willingness to take risk because they could know that if I didn't, you know, execute this well, I can change and redo it. The other great thing has been, even if it's because they're still focused on the grade, mm-hmm. which many are, if I put in a grade for something and let's say it's at a C, that's where I assessed them at. they're willing to resubmit. They'll make the changes. So now I'm seeing, because I use Canvas, and mm-hmm. I've never had students interacting with my comments Like before, like this. So now I put it in. They see, you know, you need to change your citations. They need to be properly formatted. I'm noticing some of these other issues with your grammar and punctuation. Resubmission. I changed the stuff you asked me to change. They want the higher grade. Mm -hmm. It's still grade-focused, but they are, you know, being more willing to improve. My biggest challenge that I've come up against now is second semester because I teach seniors. Mm. And... You can, as Warly says, encourage, but you cannot motivate. And senioritis is real.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And their you know, motivation to learn isn't there um, as it was in first semester and so that's definitely been my greatest struggle is how, how you, to see it through to the end how do you see it through to the end okay. and I don't know what that looks like but I definitely know I plan to implement a few things to address what I'm noticing with the students who are like repeat offenders of just not turning stuff in on time because they can
4: okay
3: um and that came through the grading harder not smarter and that is accountability system where you didn't turn it in on time and they have to tell you why didn't I turn it in on time mm-hmm. when will I turn yeah. it in to you yeah. and here are the things I will do to address that now and in the future.
1: And I'm hoping that that conversation with some of them will help. I used to give feedback on my students' essays and things like that, and nothing would come of it because once it was done, it was done. And now having the system in place, they are so much more receptive to here's how you can improve, and they, they take advantage of those opportunities to improve like they never have before. And that's just that culture shift in the classroom. And I think that one of the big challenges with getting students to stick with this is the cultural change of like, for the most part, they only have one teacher right now that's doing this. So the rest of their day is the traditional way of grading. So that mindset is, is so challenging to break. And I, I can only imagine what that's like with seniors in the second semester <laughs> when this has been their whole life. Um, cause I even see it now and then with my sophomores, well, they'll, they'll fall back to, you know, what they see in their other classes or they'll bring up what's happening in their other
4: classes. Cause it really is just a cultural and mindset change mm-hmm. that, that you're, you're fighting. So do you have any advice that you can offer to other other educators um, that choose to embark on this journey? Uh, talk to people that you work with who are willing
1: to do it or who are doing it. Okay. Um, find somebody who's open. Find other teachers. Um, and even if they're not willing to make the change, um, I have a colleague, Michelle Palmer, and she is been such a resource because she's like, I'm not ready to do this yet, but I will talk you through it. Um, and she's, a uh, she's been teaching much longer than I have. And she'll ask me all the questions that need to be asked. Mm-hmm. And that has been a really fulfilling process of knowing that even if she's not a hundred percent on board for it, I have someone I can go to a colleague I can go to and just say like, here's what I'm doing and here are all my ideas. And she'll ask the right questions. So they don't necessarily have to go on the journey with you, but yeah, don't, okay. don't um, embark alone, find people you can collaborate with and discuss these things with. Yeah, and then the other thing I would also add is give yourself space and time. I tried to launch
3: into it right before the school year and I didn't have enough time to do due diligence. The other thing too is give yourself grace because you will,
4: um,
3: you know, want to change and move and edit it as you go through and that's
4: okay. Any advice for administrators?
2: I would say do your homework. Uh, Understand the why. I, I think that's really important and that only comes with 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 research, I think uh, so. I think that's really important. And then, want assess your your staff's readiness. Uh, I think we all can kind of feel as administrators, there are things that our staffs are ready for, and things that, that we're just not ready for. Ready for, and um, because there is there's so much on teachers' plates, so you don't want to add another thing. But I I think there becomes that time where people are frustrated with um, things like cheating, things like uh, student's motivation. And, and when you have what can be an answer, I think people are, are, are willing to listen, really try to set an environment where people feel uh, willing to, to try and not be punished. Uh, and I think that that starts with communication. Like I know what Tracy's doing. And so if I ever have to speak to it, I can and I will and she knows that I'll, I'll have her back and I because I know what she's doing I know that I can have her back right. um, and, and so that I think creates a, a space where many people can can work through the, the really the hard work because from an administrative side it, it, it's it 's easy to talk about it's philosophical, but from a teacher's standpoint it's difficult because you are breaking um, both the what what you the way you've learned the way you've been taught from from a grading and assessment standpoint and then all of your students and what they've been socialized and then all the parents mm-hmm. and and their beliefs on it and then your colleagues who think you're crazy um, or, or just have the mindset where they they were successful or prefer the the old um, system of grading and so having a group that you can work with. We just had a, a grading pull-out day um, yesterday, and I want to say there were uh, 20, 25 teachers from our site that um, were doing the work and uh, or interested in doing it next year, and it was just Teachers sharing best practices, what they what they've learned, and some of the roadblocks that they've you know bumped up against, and some of the positive benefits that their students uh, you know they're seeing in their students, and I mean those things are really powerful. It's having that small community that you're working together.
4: So, with so many changes occurring in 21st century education and learning, what advice can you give to teachers or families to try tomorrow, to try this week, and to try this month?
1: Um, tomorrow, just sit down and write what do grades mean to you? Uh, I hadn't asked myself that question um, until I decided to go on this journey. And and once I did, it really made me question some of the things I'd been doing in my classroom.
2: Tomorrow, reflect on your grading practices and why you do what you do. Do you give zeros? Do you allow retakes? Why? Why do you? Why don't you? Um, Do you give 50% Fifty percent. If a kid turns something in late, why are you doing that? What? Why is it really? Is it because um, that they've earned fifty percent? Is it because we're grading on their compliance? Is it? I mean, what? What is the reasoning behind that? Uh, this week, I would say get on YouTube and look up standards-based grading. Look up reflective grading. Look up Rick Warmly. Uh, look up Myron Dweck. Look up uh, Marzano and, and, and with grading. And then this month, I would say definitely pick up some some book, something to read over the summer that, uh, about standards-based grading, gra- assessing for learning.
1: I think a really good starting book is Hacking Assessment. It's super mm-hmm. short, but it, it kind of touches on all of those grading practices and all those big names, so then you know where to go next. And that's what I started with, and, and that was it, like the launch pad to everything else, so...
4: Well, thank you all very much for joining us for a a much needed conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just have to say,
1: I really appreciate the honesty in this episode. This idea of changing grading practice is difficult because everyone is so indoctrinated into the system of these grades. I
0: agree. There is definitely some room here to continue this conversation on your own campuses and with your colleagues to really consider what do grades mean to us? And really to consider what is our purpose and responsibility as educators who assign these grades. Definitely a lot to think about.
2: Hi, my name is Harper and I'm in first grade. If you would like to comment on their podcast, go to cnusgk 12 and be sure to follow them on Twitter, fa- Facebook, and Instagram at CNUSDEdChat, too. Let them know the topics you are interested in. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by leaving a five star review. Thanks for your support. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of CNUSD Ed Chat. We have more motivating and thought-provoking episodes available now on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Want to hear your child or student on a future episode? We are looking for kids to record our next kid outro. Read from our script available at www.cnusd.k12.ca.us slash edchat. We even have a script for the younger kids. Just submit the audio file to our Google Drive folder. We will see you next time. This episode is co-produced by Kim Kemmer, Anne-Marie Cortez, Kate Jackson, and me, Jenny Cordura, and edited by Ken Pucci.